It's Sunday, December 9th. I'm Mercedes Stevenson, and you're listening to the West Block Podcast. This week, the Prime Minister and the Premier's facing off. Sparks fly as Ottawa's agenda is sidelined. Can Justin Trudeau get the Premier's back on track? The Prime Minister's point man on the provinces is here. And from threats of a walkout to controversy over the carbon tax and the oil crisis, is it all political drama or are the complaints legitimate? We'll ask one of the premiers. And the arrest heard round the world. Canada puts the queen of Chinese tech behind bars. Will China strike back over Huawei? In what could be a preview of the coming election, the Liberal government squared off with the provinces in Montreal at the first minister's meeting. Tension and turbulence dominated the meeting before it could even get started. Drama as the premiers revolted over Ottawa's agenda, demanding the oil crisis and asylum seekers be made priorities instead of the prime minister's plans to discuss interprovincial trade and the environment. Several premiers threatened to walk out. Here's how the day ended up. Any kind of meeting that we have that focuses on the prosperity and well-being of Canadians that doesn't substantially focus on that issue is uh, not a meeting that is well-designed. They changed the goalpost. They changed, they changed the rules on the 11th hour of the game here. Minister for Intergovernmental Affairs Dominic LeBlanc joins me now from Montreal. Minister, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. Good morning. At this meeting, Minister, you went into it with a lot of drama. People were threatening to walk out. They didn't actually walk out of the meeting, but did you make any progress? I think we did, Mercedes. I think it was a constructive and productive meeting. You're right, there were all kinds of speculations and all kinds of drama the night before. In fact, the evening before the meeting, on Thursday evening, we had a very cheerful, positive dinner at a Greek restaurant in Montreal. And the meeting, I think, opened with a clear focus on the economy. Uh, obviously, the energy sector occupied uh, at the front end of the meeting, a lot of a lot of discussion. Uh, the premiers, the prime minister, were focused on how to manage some significant challenges in certain sectors of the economy and what they could do uh, collaboratively together. So the meeting, as you say, started with all kinds of speculation and ended, I think, very constructively. In fact, with a joint communique uh, focused on the actions that the governments will be taking together. Uh, minister LeBlanc. Premier Ford came out and he said that your government is moving the goalposts when it comes to the carbon tax and climate change. Is that true? No, I, I, we didn't move the goalposts at all. Those goalposts were set uh, in 2016 in a pan-Canadian framework, uh, which was the result of a bottom-up process where governments worked collaboratively for a long time to develop and share uh, targets uh, to meet Canada's objectives. What Mr. Ford did is, in fact, he uh, evacuated the playing field. So he may have trouble seeing the goalpost because he's no longer on the field. He's actually sitting in the stands looking at the goalposts. So maybe if you choose to take yourself off the field, uh, it might appear that the goalpost shifted, uh, but nobody else in, in that room and other premiers uh, expressed surprise that that was the conclusion uh, coming from Ontario because it so doesn't why, seem to be shared by others. Why do you think that others. he's he's saying that then? If that's not what happened in the room, and, and I would encourage you to talk to other premiers who were surprised to read those comments. Uh, we are, in fact, that's not the case. Uh, what we've said, Mercedes, is that all governments need to work together to deal with climate change to but, uh, to face the real challenges that, cl that climate well? change represents. Minister LeBlanc, it sounded like Premier Mo also thought that you were moving the goalposts. But again, Premier Mo might also be one of the people who decided to leave the playing field. You but does can that mean they don't understand they, what's they happening in the room? They can choose to characterize it however they want. 
Mercedes. They're also going to court. I've never heard a climate scientist uh, uh, say that the best way to fight climate change is to put somebody in a black gown with a big briefcase in front of a court of appeal. That doesn't strike me like the most effective climate action plan. When it comes to Alberta, there's certainly been a lot of concern about oil out there, about uh, the crisis that Alberta is facing. I know that Premier Notley has repeatedly asked your government to buy cars to do oil by rail. Is that something you were able to come to an agreement on in the meeting? Um, you're right, Mercedes. Premier Notley and, in fact, all premiers, the Premier of New Brunswick, of my province, a number of other premiers, uh, expressed a real concern about the price differential, the price discount that's facing uh, Canadian energy resources. It's most acute in Alberta, but not uh, they're not alone in facing that challenge. That's an economic concern for the whole country. Uh, our government wants to work, obviously, with Premier Notley and the government of Alberta to do what we can. Uh, she has made that suggestion. She described it as a medium-term uh, solution, but I think there are short-term sort of deadlines as when one might have to order these rail cars. I don't think they sell them on the shelves at, at Costco. So the, the challenge is for the governments to work together on every possible solution. Uh, and we committed to, uh, to having that conversation with her and to continuing that dialogue. You're continuing the conversation, but if this is an industry in crisis, why not just commit to buying those rail cars? So look, a significant action like that, it's, it would represent a considerable uh, amount of money for taxpayers. Uh, the rail industry in Canada uh, is an important part of the Canadian economy itself. Um, so the government obviously needs to understand what those potential actions uh, might mean in terms of that sector of the economy, in terms of uh, broader effects on other sectors of the economy. But it's certainly an interesting idea and one that we said we would, we would look at expeditiously uh, with her government. Uh, but we weren't in a position today to, uh, to agree to that, but we certainly committed to understanding all of the elements of that particular suggestion. As the Minister in Charge of Intergovernmental Affairs, are you concerned about the increasing Western alienation? Polls reflect it in Alberta. We're hearing it in public commentary. They, many Albertans feel that the federal government is not empathetic or sympathetic towards their situation. I, I obviously worry about people who... Uh, speculate on on such uh, on such things because I think it's very counterproductive to uh, working together in a federation to deal with the real economic challenges uh, that are facing Western Canada and Alberta. We've said from the very beginning uh, that we would work with the government of Alberta, but in fact, it, to be fair, uh, other provincial governments are also very much interested in working with Alberta and and the government of Canada. On all, of these, uh, on all of these opportunities, on everything we can do uh, to assist this sector. So uh, it, was, it was the first substantive item that was addressed uh, in the meeting uh, when, when we convened uh, on, on Friday morning. And that issue, the Alberta uh, energy uh, economy, uh, occupied a significant portion, and properly so, of the conversation. And it was constructive, and it was collaborative, and I think it was instructive. Uh, for all those that were there. So uh, if, if the objective was to use this meeting to have a better understanding of how we can work together quickly to deal with this challenge, then the meeting was a success. Thank you very much, Minister LeBlanc. Thanks very much, Mercedes. Appreciate the invitation. 
Justin Trudeau promised to get along better with the provinces than Stephen Harper did, but divisions were on display and tempers flared as the prime minister met with the premiers. There are divisions even among the provinces, too, over how to handle federal-provincial relations. Premier Ford uh, put forward a plan that represents uh, a step backwards. Uh, he uh, exited the uh, cap-and-trade uh, agreement that he was in with Quebec and California, uh, and uh, he thinks we should make pollution free again. Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe joins me now. Premier Moe, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Mercedes. So going into these meetings, you weren't happy with the agenda. Are you satisfied that the federal government listened to your concerns? Well, we'll we will see as we move forward. You know, we had a couple of... Uh, of uh, uh, benchmarks that we wanted to see uh, arrived at uh, through this meeting. We, we were heard for certain as uh, other provinces were. We had good discussion uh, with respect to the carbon taxation. Uh, we've always said that provinces should have the, uh, the right and the jurisdiction to enact their own carbon plans. There's a general agreement around the table uh, on what we need to accomplish uh, uh, here in our provincial jurisdictions and, and where we differ is on the mechanism on how we get there. Bill C-69 deals with environmental assessments for energy projects. What are your concerns with that bill? Bill C-69, we need to uh, ensure that, that the uh, timelines for these processes uh, actually are achieved and that we have, uh, you know, with the appropriate information is being provided, that we are uh, actually uh, within the timelines of uh, what, what business operates so that we can have good, clean, uh, environmentally sustainable projects that are also of an economic uh, value to our communities and to the nation. Uh, this, is, this bill is the bill that will ensure, if it's structured properly, which it isn't at the moment, is the bill that will ensure that we are able to put all sorts of infrastructure projects in to, to add value to our Canadian economy. Infrastructure projects such as uh, transmission lines for hydroelectricity, infrastructure projects such as pipelines uh, to ensure that we can realize full value for what was, is essentially turning out to be a stranded asset in Alberta and Saskatchewan, a stranded asset that over the number of last, the, uh, number of last years has driven our Canadian economy and has, has uh, ca made cause for our prairie provinces to be net contributors uh, to the nation through equalization. Uh, Premier Mo, when we heard from the federal government, they talked about the carbon tax, they said everyone's talking about it, everyone's behind closed doors trying to come to an agreement. Doug Ford came out of the meetings, though, and said that the federal government is moving the goalposts when it comes to the carbon tax. Do you agree with that? Well, it, it was a conversation that, that occurred, and I, I uh, you know, I just point us back to the, act, to the last uh, time we actually had a pan-Canadian document that was signed by all the first ministers in this nation, and that was the Vancouver Declaration, where all of the province, provinces agreed to do what they could, understanding the variability and differences in emissions and, and what's achievable in each of their, their provincial jurisdictions with respect to emissions reductions, um, but they would do what they could to help Canada achieve uh, the Paris Accord, the Paris Accord commitments that are there. All the provinces are in agreement uh, for that, and today we heard that there may be some different requirements that would come in certain areas of, of the nation, which which has never been on the table uh, before. Uh, we talked to Dominic LeBlanc, who is the minister in charge of intergovernmental affairs for the Trudeau government. He says that people like you and Doug Ford, who say they're moving the goalposts, are those who aren't even on the playing field, and the goalposts are exactly where they've been all along. How do you respond to that? 
Well, it's just simply wrong, uh, incorrect, and uh, and shouldn't be repeated. The fact of the matter is, is in Saskatchewan, we put forward a plan of prairie resilience, which is a plan uh, that was accepted by the federal government. We put forward a plan for a 40% reduction in emissions with our electrical generation uh, capacity, and, and that was accepted by the federal government. We put forward a methane reduction plan in our energy industry. That was accepted by the federal government. So most certainly, uh, minister, with all due respect, Minister LeBlanc is poorly informed and I talk to him frequently and he should ask the question. When it comes to oil, something that concerns your province as well, why do you think the federal government has not taken direct action to try to help the oil industry? They need to take direct, direct action to provide the regular cer regulatory certainty uh, that our industry needs so that we can look at projects uh, to ensure that our product can get a world price uh, for, for, for that product and may possibly even add value to it here in the nation of Canada and another province per se and sell it uh, you know, around the world. This is how we succeed as a nation of Canada by working together. Did you have any indication in, t in the meeting uh, that the federal government is considering more than they've already done? Because they, they always cite uh, trans Mountain and their support for the oil industry, but is there any sense that they're moving towards actually injecting funding or buying rail cars as Alberta has requested? Uh, there was a discussion with respect to some of the short-term initiatives that, that uh, you know, are just that, short-term initiatives. Essentially, the conversation that we need to have in this nation is around corridors for, for our energy products and other products that we, we want to move across the nation. Maybe that's electricity from, from uh, hydroelectric facilities that are essentially a stranded a stranded energy source in places like Manitoba and Quebec, but we also have to uh, have the consideration of, of moving uh, Western Canadian energy products uh, through those same energy corridors so that we can add value to them. What is Ottawa's explanation for why they haven't acted yet? Uh, we, I, I think they, I, I don't know why they haven't acted yet. I, I came to this meeting to engage on, on that regulatory framework. Uh, we did just that and we're going to follow up um, either prior to the end of this year, likely prior to the end of this year, and for certain in the first part of the new year, which we had intended to do anyway, uh, but now most certainly we are with our Minister of Energy and Resources, as well as the Deputy Premier will be following up. Coming out of this meeting, how would you describe Saskatchewan's relationship with Ottawa? We don't agree on everything. Uh, let's face it. There's a number of uh, differences that we have with our federal government, but there are a number of uh, uh, places where we where, where we where we are in agreement as well. Um, but you know, the, we, I'm, we need to continue to have conversations around. You know, where we do have agreement, we were happy to see the USMCA uh, uh, deal signed with the U.S., our largest trading partner. Uh, there's still some lingering uh, challenges that I, I think, in fairness, we'd all like to see cleaned up in the, in the way of the Section 232 tariffs, tariffs on, on steel and aluminum, which affect uh, um, as the, Sask the Saskatchewan economy uh, you know, qu quite, quite a bit. Um, we don't agree on how we can reduce emissions and, and uh, potentially impact climate change in Saskatchewan. We have a, a plan that we had put forward that uh, the federal government uh, has accepted. Uh, they want to go further and tax hardworking Saskatchewan families and, and businesses. We don't feel that's necessary. We feel we can achieve the targets without taxing the people of Saskatchewan. What will happen if the federal government doesn't take action on the oil crisis? Well, you're going to see more of what you've seen in the past. You're going to see a fleeing of investment to the U.S. We have billions and billions of dollars that could have been invested in Western Canada that essentially is being invested in the United States and other areas of the world. These are regulatory headwinds, whether it's the inability to have a strong regulatory environment for pipelines so that we can get our 
our energy product to, uh, to market, or whether it be uh, additional headwinds in the way of carbon taxation on an industry just like this. These are headwinds that this industry just simply doesn't need right now, and that is the message that we brought here today on Saskatchewan's behalf. Premier Mo, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Mercedes. I appreciate it. It is the arrest that sent shockwaves around the world and through markets as Mounties arrested Meng Wanzhou, the chief financial officer of Huawei, the Chinese tech giant. Meng is often called the queen of China's tech industry, but the RCMP arrested her as she tried to change planes in Vancouver earlier this month. Meng is now facing extradition to the U.S. China has denounced the arrest as a serious human rights violation. So why did Canada make the arrest and will China retaliate? Joining me now from Toronto, is Canada's former ambassador to China, David Mulroney. David, thank you so much for joining us today. Such an interesting story. Why do you think the Canadians made the decision to arrest this high-profile woman? Well, I think if what's happened is a request was sent in through the U.S. for extradition, we take that very seriously, no matter who it is. Uh, I, I think sometimes we cringe knowing that there will be political ramifications, reverberations, but um, this is how we operate. So when the prime minister says there was no political direction in this, you believe this was purely an RCMP decision to arrest? Absolutely. I mean, he said, the prime minister said he got a heads up, which would be par for the course. But not only would he not be asked whether it's okay, I don't think he'd want to answer that question because he, there's no way that the prime minister would want to uh, be accused of stepping into something, particularly if, as suggested, it involves allegations of violating Iran sanctions. He'd want to stay a long way away from that. What is the reaction like to this story in China? Uh, it's very interesting. Uh, Chinese media has been reporting on it carefully. They, uh, a few journalists in the more nationalistic uh, press have, have uh, vented their frustration with, with Canada and with the U.S. But for the most part, it's been uh, pretty careful and quiet. And on social media, um, one uh, very vitriolic blogger said, read this before it gets pulled down. China monitors its social media very carefully. So there have been little eruptions, but it's trying to keep this from boiling over. Do you think that Canadians who are traveling to China or working in China have to worry that they could face retaliation and the Chinese government or police could decide to arrest them? This is, is something that, that people have been talking about. I, I think it depends on you know, ultimately where this goes and how serious it becomes. I think the Chinese are very frustrated with this. There's no doubt about that. And if it gets more embarrassing to them, uh, if uh, Madame Wang uh, does not return to China in, in the near future, uh, pressure will mount for some kind of tit-for-tat retaliation. We've seen things like that from China in the past, uh, and we can't rule it out. I, I just don't think we're there yet. Is there a risk that there could be retaliation on the trade level or in terms of cyber attacks? Uh, cyber attacks are always possible. On the trade side, I think what will happen is you know, the, the Chinese make it so that you, you make no progress unless you have high-level exchanges. We had Minister Morneau in China not so long ago. The Prime Minister has raised this. What they might simply do is, and I think they will do, is um, turn up the, the deep freeze, um, really postpone high-level exchanges. Now, of course, this all comes at a time when there's been tremendous tension between the United States and China, the tariff war, which seemed to have a bit of a detente uh, when Donald Trump sat down with his Chinese counterpart around the same time that this senior executive was being arrested in Canada. Does this affect the relationship between the U.S. and China when it comes to trade? Hugely. 
And uh, I mean, I think Chinese officials appear to be trying to signal that they're not going to connect these two issues. They're very happy to have been granted a 90-day ceasefire. The American tariffs were hurting. I don't know how long they can continue doing that as Chinese citizens are outraged by what's happened and they don't want to get on the wrong side of their citizens. So uh, it, it, depending again on how far this goes and where it goes, uh, it could completely disrupt things. It's also true that uh, the United States has had the company Huawei in its sights for some time. Uh, there have been concerns uh, of that, that Huawei in effect, although it, it describes itself as a private company, acts for the Chinese state and enables uh, China's hacking of U.S. technology. None of that's been proved, but it's very much an American concern. They've also expressed some concern, and some leading Americans have expressed concern with Canada, because we have a warmer relationship with Huawei, and we're just about to make a major decision as to whether uh, Huawei could be allowed to be part of the next generation of uh, uh, information technology, the, the, the 5G revolution that's telling, coming to telecoms very, very soon. Well, and do, do you think that this arrest perhaps will affect Canada's decision on that? Absolutely. It couldn't come at a worse time. It makes it very, very difficult for the prime minister, for the government to um, go forward with a partner, in partnership with a, with a company that has, has a cloud over its head like this. And I don't think that cloud is going to dissipate. I'd be surprised if it dissipates soon. So uh, timing's really bad for Huawei in Canada and elsewhere. Britain is also a major client and they're having, they've been having some second thoughts. Uh, the fact that this arrest warrant was put out by the United States for one of the most high-profile Chinese citizens you could imagine, do you think that it's intended to send a message to China? That's very much how it's being read by the Chinese. They're seeing this as the Americans holding uh, hostage a hostage, a leading and, and much-respected uh, Chinese business person. Um, I think it's also true, though, that um, the telecoms companies um, in China have come under suspicion in the U.S., a violation of the Iran sanctions. A smaller company, but still a very important one, called ZTE, has run afoul of the Americans a couple of times. So it's a sector where they have their eyes open and they're not averse to, to snapping up uh, major players in corporations that come under suspicion. The interesting story coming out of the United States is whether or not President Trump knew about this when he sat down, as you mentioned, with Chinese President Xi Jinping, because the, the arrest was happening at roughly the same time. It appears that he didn't know this, which is a little bit surprising. But even if he had, it's hard to imagine what he could have said to, to President Xi. Now, we just have about a minute left, but I'm curious, do you think that this affects Canada's ability to get a free trade deal with China, or are we going to be seen now by the Chinese as having sided with the Americans? Well, the, the Chinese like to politicize their free trade negotiations. They like to portray them as something, a favor they confer on a country after it's been seen to be um, good and, and trustworthy in its behavior to China. So they're going to make us fear this uh, and feel this, and uh, we'll be in the deep freeze for some time. At the same time, China wouldn't be interested in doing a free trade deal with us unless they had some interests here. So those interests aren't going to go away. I suspect we're going to be in the penalty box for a while. David, fascinating. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for checking out the West Block podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and listen on your Apple podcast, Google podcast, or wherever you find your podcast. And join the conversation at the West Block Facebook and check out our Instagram page. And please tune in again.